You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Journeyman. Today, we talk veteran leadership, running backs Illuminati, advice to Mbappe, and so much more. Let's get into it. Who are these guys? It's my theme music. Every good hero should have some. This is an institution of learning, ladies and gentlemen. If you can't control it, how can you teach? Discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Journeyman brought to you by the good folks at DraftKings Network and Metal Arc Media. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, seven-year NFL veteran, media personality, entrepreneur. I wear a lot of hats, and I'm happy to be back here talking to you about everything in sports. Today, we don't have a co-host, so this is new for your boy. I've never actually done a podcast where it's just me. There's no one to debate. There's no one to get opinions from. There's no one to tell jokes with. So we got to figure this out. It's just me. I'm giving you a little peek behind the curtain. There's no producer. This is I'm in a hotel room in Paris. If you listen to the podcast, to the show, last week, you you know that I said that I was on my way to Paris to hit a couple of stops, which we'll get into. But no, it's just me. And I got producer Jeff's notes in my rundown who picks the topics. And it's just going to be me versus what he says in here. And I'm I'm going to be honest with you out the gate, Jeff. You say some wild shit, man. And I think it needs to be talked about on this show. Um, like I said, I wear a lot of hats, wearing a lot of hats today. You know, I actually, I, I do sports media, which is why I'm here. I have my own tech company as well called Status Pro. Shout out to Status Pro. Um, I'm also in the middle of a work stoppage right now. Because I am a SAG after actor, technically, because of some of the work that I've done in entertainment, I am in the union. So we are on strike right now. So you may have seen that in the news. You may have saw it in the media. And this thing is this thing is real. This thing is not a joke. This is this is real. And I say it's real because I I won't say I've lost. That might not be the right term to say I've lost job. I'm I'm I've missed out on big opportunities because of the strike that they're not coming back that's the difference see i was a part of the 2011 nfl lockout that was my first year coming into the league and you know obviously i had a lot of friends across the league i got teammates i got people or whatever and we're all having conversations and we're talking about what's going on you know the owners at the time were trying to get the cba changed and so they locked us out and there was no money coming in so in the, the spring of 2011 there was no off-season workouts. And that was terrible for me because I had just signed right before the lockout. And I was coming from Canada. I was a 5'7", 175-pound receiver from Canada, from the Canadian Football League. And I was trying to make the St. Louis Rams at the time. And I had no off-season to kind of show and prove. But so anyway, you know, I understood and was coming into the league knowing even if there wasn't a lockout, the chances of me sticking around were probably slim, you know? And so I could live my life accordingly. What happened in the lockout was there were players that could not make it from the end of the season in January to August. And I'm talking about by April, you know, when the lockout was like literally just starting, there were players that were hurting, which is, a, it's, a, it's different. And this is what makes me wonder, about the acting strike, which again, we're striking for 
a bunch of legitimate reasons. So we're all in. You know, this is I'm I'm sacrificing with the actors. So I feel like this is the first time I kind of feel like I want I can say like yo, I'm an actor because I'm missing dough from the strike. But in the NFL, when the when the when the lockout happened, it was it's crazy because every year we know when football happens. And and honestly, in the NFL, there's a league minimum. So no, not everybody is making, you know, franchise player style money. You're not making quarterback money. You're not making the starting receiver money even you know yeah there's a lot going on with running backs now we can get into that too but even them like you're not making even the best running backs are making good money but there's a league minimum so we knew what players were making so at the time I believe the league minimum was around 300 grand a year and so there was like a lot of lifestyle conversations happening between the players of how can you not make this money last from January to August. And that's always the hard part about any CBA or union athlete union lockout strike um, quest to get better benefits, money or what have you is because you're only as strong as your ability to say no. And that's where the negotiating power is. That is business one-on-one. And so for SAG, it's, I feel like it's even tougher because there is no cadence version of when the actors or the writers are getting paid in in Hollywood it comes so here there and yeah there's Leonardo DiCaprio's he's cool he can strike for forever right like Tom Brady he could have been locked out for three years and been fine in four years and five he but he didn't have to play again at that point and you know he played another 12 years but those got people are fine like in acting you don't know when your next opportunity is going to come when your gig is going to come and so what it comes down to is just like in football, who's prepared to lose more money? Are the players prepared to go weeks without being paid? How many of the low totem pole players, which I was, can make it into the Octobers, Novembers, a whole season? And as the time went on, as a, as a union, as players, we understood that, you know, there were very, very, very few people that could do that. And, that, and that's the same issue that they're going to face on the entertainment side as well because the networks aren't going to have any new content. So it's like, who can, who can last longer? Who can, who can make, who could sit this out and whose pockets are going to burn faster before you break. So it'll be an interesting thing. So I'm in the middle of it. I'm in the middle of a strike right now, um, technically, but I'm coming to work here. This is not a SAG show. This is not SAG part of Hawk. Um, so I need this check to clear. So, yeah, that's what that's what we've been going on there. Like I said, I was in Europe and it was a great time. I stopped in Spain. I went to London. I'm actually like I said, I'm in Paris right now. I didn't know what to expect, but it was it was dope. I got recognized, which was a which is a curveball. I don't expect to get recognized places. I'm very unassuming. I'm a very, really, you know, relatable kind of former athlete that, you know, no one looks at me and says, oh, were you a. Were you this? But I was actually recognized in Ibiza. And you might say, Hawk, what the hell are you doing in Ibiza? That's a good question. So we actually took this trip and we didn't have any itinerary. So I was just like, yo, we're going to go to Barcelona. I actually went and spoke at an event for the MBPA in Malaga, Spain. And so we hit those two up. And I didn't know anything about like what to do, except when I was a kid, I used to watch the E! Channel. And Brooke Burke and Maria Menounos would say Ibiza was the dopest place to be. It was a party. And I didn't know. I was like, yo, okay, we'll go. I'm thinking, 
yo, we'll go out there. We'll just have a good time. It's a pool party. There was a hotel. I can't, I don't know how to pronounce this. You, you, you Shia something, but it has like events right there at the, at the hotel. So I'm an old washed former athlete. I'm like, oh, cool. I don't got to jump in an Uber. We could just go to a pool party, you know, have a good time. Me and the wife and then head, like, just go chill at the room. I was not prepared. I wasn't. And now in my mind, I'm in the midst of lobbying for the NFL to take their international game series to Ibiza. Yes, I'm calling the NFL out. If you really want to, if you really want to expand, you want to jump into a new market, you want to turn this international party up, you got to go to Ibiza. This was the craziest party that I've ever seen in my life. And again, I have partied. I was a teammate of Johnny Manziel. Okay. I need, I need you to understand. I'm not just some guy. I've seen them all. All right. My older brother played in the NFL when I was in high school. I've seen it all. Ibiza is different. You know the term I'm on one? It probably started there. And they, you know what? They might have been on two because it was a whole. I was asleep by 10 p.m. That party did not stop until I left the next day at noon. Okay? Just, just so you know. NFL, you want to take that international series to the next level, go have a game in Ibiza and watch the craziest atmosphere that anybody has ever seen at a sporting event. Go get Steve Aoki on the halftime show, Pitbull. Bring in Mr. 305 to do the halftime show, some house music in Ibiza during an NFL game. You want players? If you want players to stop complaining about going to London or Mexico or Germany, Take them to Ibiza. I promise you, you will have players signing up years in advance to go play in that international game. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, it's been a good trip. Uh, I'm happy to get back to the States eventually. Uh, it wasn't what I expected, but it was really dope. It was really dope. Like I said, I was speaking at the NBPA. It was cool. They had NBA players there. Yeah, they have this dope training facility out there in Malaga, Spain called the Sanctuary. So I seen a couple of, you know, NBA guys there. And that's a good segue into what our first NBA topic is going to be about Draymond Green. Draymond Green was on Podcast P and he was talking about how he's still learning to become a vet. He said he doesn't know how to mentor and that he's always looked up to Sean Livingston, Barbosa, and Andre Iguodala as mentors but now that he's a vet, he feels like he's learning how to do it. And what he was implying, I think, was that the Jordan Poole situation was a result of him not understanding what the situation called for and him only knowing how to mentor with what producer Jeff calls confrontation and punches. Now, I like this take from, from, from Draymond for a couple of reasons. I think Draymond already is a good mentor and a good vet. Right. And I think I think the I think the, the 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 mentor mentality is you either study study long, you study wrong. And I say that to say because this is journeyman. A lot of the people who consider themselves journeymen or who've had that career, they were paid literally just to be vets. I've been in situations like that. Like my last year in Cleveland, it was me and four rookies. I only came back because the head coach asked I was gonna retire before that year. 
And he's like, yo, we're going to have a young team next year and we need some stability and help. Will you stick around? And that was a conversation that we had, right? And so I look at being a vet like being a parent. You can be a, a good vet. You can be a bad vet. Bad vets create bad vets, right? And I, and I think being a vet is not something you can force. You have to understand what a situation calls for. And so I would actually challenge Draymond Green and say that his situation with Jordan Poole, you know, is not great. And maybe it didn't need, you know, fist to cuffs the way that it went down. But there are situations when being a vet where confrontation is obviously very necessary. And as a veteran in any athlete, in any sport, you have to know what the situation calls for because someone might need a little kick in the ass every once in a while. Now, Draymond went straight literal with a punch in the face and a kick in the ass. But that is what a situation might call for. Someone might need confidence. I've had players who were incredible players. And they didn't have the confidence, and that's what they needed. There were some players who needed their confidence knocked down. Corey Coleman is one of my favorite teammates I've ever had in my life. First-round pick to the Cleveland Browns my last year there. And I remember early on we had a conversation because I could see some things when Corey. I'm like, yo, Corey, you could be great. You're the Bolitnikov winner. You're a first-round pick. And as you guys know, like you get pumped up in these things, and you don't understand. You don't know what the world is. And I was trying to get Corey to understand, like, hey, there's still a lot of things that need to come with this. And this isn't, this still isn't a guarantee. You need to approach things a certain way. And we we got off on the wrong foot because I'm the old guy and it felt it felt like old man hating, right? That's that's what they tell a lot of vets. That happens a lot. And you got to be okay with that to get to the greater good. And I would I would explain to him and my guy Terrell Pryor the same way is I'm like, yo, I have no benefit in helping you out. There's nothing that comes to me from helping you out. I want you to be great. I want you to see all the money. I want you to see all the playing time. And I would tell them, like, yo, we get a new first-round pick every single year. Every year. And this is in Cleveland. So they're typically pretty high. And I said, look around the locker room. How many first-round picks from here do you still see in this locker room? And so it was me just trying to warn him. And, again, I think he understood. And eventually, me and Corey got really close. And that's still my guy today. And I'm very, very proud of the professional that he became. Um, but that's, that's a, that's a necessary thing. I've seen terrible vets. I've seen vets go to a young guy, be threatened by him and, and, and tell them the wrong plays so that they mess up and put themselves in a better situation to continue on. But all the while showing the coaches on the outside that they're mentoring and this guy just doesn't get it. And I'm working on him, but they're actually throwing them under the bus. So good vets are hard to come by, but they are absolutely very, very much like parenting. I've, I've seen vets try to force it, and it just does not, does not work. RG3 is my guy. I would say in Cleveland, it was a square peg in a round hole for RG3 trying to step up as a veteran leader there. Meanwhile, Josh McCown, who was not going to play at all. Josh McCown wasn't looking like he was going to be the starter or be the star or whatever when he was there. But everybody just followed him because he had no ego and he knew what the situations called for. And it's tough. And it's something you do learn over time. I've seen I've seen vets try to come in and be the rah-rah guy. And it might work in some places and other. Demario Davis, one of the best linebackers in football. When he was in Cleveland, you talking about speeches and inspiration falling on deaf ears. 
I know that was tough for him. And now he goes to the Saints and he'll be a ring of honor player there, you know? And so I think just over the time you understand and you see each situation calls for something different. You know, we're going to keep talking Draymond Green after a quick break. We're back. We're going to keep talking a little Draymond Green. I'm a Draymond Green fan. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Didn't start that way. You know, I wasn't like a, I was never a Draymond hater, so to speak. Um, but I think over time, he's his, what he represents in the game is, I think people will look back on it very, very fondly. You know, he is absolutely a glue guy. He also talked about beyond, you know, not knowing how to be a vet is, it's going to it's going to take some uh, a man to man talk with Chris Paul to get that relationship on the right road to really find their chemistry. He openly admitted that he does not like Chris and Chris don't like him. And producer Jeff and this this is actually going to be a strike one of of the rundown. He gives me the topics. These are these are Jeff's topics. I'm just giving you my 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 expert opinion on it. And by expert, I mean casual because who the hell am I, right? Um but he says what do you think Draymond means? Draymond's built a reputation as a ball kicker, a puncher, and a shover. Just a dirty player all around. That is wild words. And again, he's not, I get where he's coming from. We've seen the videos. We know how Draymond is. Um, but this is a very fan-centric perspective from producer Jeff. Because I look at Draymond, and I do see a leader. And I do see... A vet. And I do see someone who was a catalyst for those championships and for that dynasty run for the Golden State Warriors. And some of that stuff is necessary because you need it. It's an important part to a, a team. And, and Draymond Green and Chris Paul are very similar. And in sports, we've all seen it. Whenever you have two guys or two women who are very similar in how they approach the game as competitors, it gets fiery. That's when the that's when the fireworks fly. Draymond Green goes into a game and he does things so everybody else doesn't have to do them, right? Because we can't have Steph Curry getting his hands dirty. We can't have Klay Thompson getting his hands dirty, right? And Andre Iguodala. I mean, that's the beautiful part I think about the Golden State Warriors dynasty, and everybody talks about this, but it's the way that everybody fit into a role. It really felt like a team. It didn't feel like. You know, I was in Cleveland when LeBron was in with the Cavs. It didn't it didn't feel like everyone was just riding, you know, LeBron James coattails to the championship, which we've seen before. The Warriors feel like a team, even though Steph Curry is one of the greatest players ever to pick up a basketball, the best shooter to ever pick up the round ball. It still felt like there's the roles were being played and super important. It didn't feel like MJ, who also had role players and, and obviously probably a cast that, as fans, we know more than any other team. It even felt like something beyond that. And Draymond is a huge part of that. Andre Iguodala, I was saying, was a superstar basketball player at one point. That's how I remember Andre Iguodala. For the Sixers being the man, being a, being a guy that was like, yo, this dude's going to take it over. And his legacy towards the end was such an integral part of these championships and of this Golden State Warriors team as a role guy. And so what Draymond does, we don't like it. It's, you know, you you banter on Twitter. Fans are like, ah, oh, this, and he's so cocky, and he thinks he's this, and he thinks he's that. It's such a necessary part because he's taking 
bullets so his guys don't have to. He's doing all the dirty work. He is literally, and I know we say that, but it's it keeps everybody else's hands clean. So all they got to focus on is what they have to focus on. That's what a vet does. And so with Chris Paul, he has a very similar outlook. You don't have to be the enforcer. You don't have to be the tough guy. You don't have to be the one standing up because I'm going to do that. I'm not going to let nobody walk over us. I'm not going to let anybody just say anything. I'm not going to let anything slide. And I'm going to go get under the skin of everybody else. So you guys can go ball this way or that way. It's a very weird thing, but I think of like LeVar ball, which is a, a, a ball segue, which is a, which is crazy out of me just now. I'll be honest with you. But LeVar, I like LeVar Ball, and here's what I'm saying, is he had his sons. And before we knew if these guys could actually play, before we knew if Lonzo would actually be anything, even Leangelo, whose NBA career, career didn't pan out. Side note, I think it's because he's a, he's a tight end. He should have been playing football. I feel like he's out of position. He's not an NBA player. I feel like he's a Pro Bowl tight end who played the wrong sport. Another topic for another day. But before we knew that, that LaMelo was going to be a max player, LeVar told us. And everybody was so annoyed. There wasn't a demographic who wasn't annoyed with LeVar Ball. There wasn't a demographic. There wasn't a sports fan. There wasn't a segment of social media that felt like LeVar Ball should shut the hell up and, and, and move on. But LeVar Ball was right. And what LeVar Var Ball, while he was accused of stealing the spotlight from his boys he in hindsight was doing the exact opposite he was making you hate him the result was us hating him and not minding Lonzo Lonzo didn't say much Lonzo was actually a very relatable person I remember the Father's Day commercial they did with Foot Locker and everybody loved it and we haven't heard two words out of Lonzo we haven't heard two words out of LiAngelo we haven't heard two words out of LaMelo and 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 by and large, all three of those guys are very well liked. Even LiAngelo, who has not played in the NBA, should have been playing in the NFL. But all of them are, are well liked. And LeVar Ball took those bullets for them. That's what Chris Paul, that's what Draymond Green does. And, you know, where everyone's like, how is this going to work? What is the chemistry? What typically happens is when you have these two personalities who clash and don't like each other and all the thing, and they come together, they end up being best friends. We've seen it a million times. Think of the Mighty Ducks. If you haven't seen the Mighty Ducks, number one, what the hell are you doing with your life? That's number one. Number two, in the Mighty Ducks, I think it was D2, Mighty Ducks 2, where two hockey teams had to come together. And as we know, in hockey, there's a role of the enforcer, right? Very similar to the Draymond role. And typically, there's not two enforcers on a team. We only need one. There's not that many spots. We have somebody with that role. And the enforcers, tough guys, didn't get along. They come together, and what happens? They end up being the Bash Bros. So I feel like with Draymond and Chris Paul, that's going to be the actual result. That they're going to take so much pressure off of Klay Thompson, so much pressure off of Steph Curry, and they're going to enjoy doing it, and they are going to get on the nerves of every other team, and they're going to end up being the best of friends and the best of teammates. Think Dennis Rodman when he came to the Bulls, right? Like that's, he did not have a good relationship with them. 
him and Mike are still boys to this day. And that's tough. As you can see, there's a lot of former teammates that aren't rocking with Mike. His whole career was built, built off of stopping Mike from winning championships. Mike has a very cert a certain personality. Dennis has a certain personality. And they came together to create magic. I think that's when the, what's going to happen. Producer Jeff also asked, what are these men talks? When, when, when players have men-to-men -men talks, what does that mean? That's a great question. Because in the NFL, our men-to-men -men talks are fistfights. Yes, it sounds adolescent. It sounds stupid. And I know if there was cameras there, people would be appalled. I'm always shocked that people are shocked when football players get physical. It's in the DNA. It's part of the job description. It's a prerequisite. It's like trying to do trigonometry without taking algebra one. Yeah, it ain't going to work. We get physical. And it doesn't matter if you are 5'7", 175, or 6'6", 295 pounds. Being physical is a part of the job description. That's just what it is. And that's in every turn. I had a coach describe it to me as football is showing courage at all times. That's not backing down from a fight. And it's men-to-men -men talks in basketball are different. And I know, I know they get down in basketball, but I know people don't get down in basketball because I'm always curious of how people get the tough guy tab in basketball because it's not a physical sport. See, in football, we know. We know James Harrison is tough because we've watched him decapitate people in legal live football action. You know, we know Ray Lewis doesn't have it all because we've seen him break limbs. I know what happens when I run into to James Harrison. I know what happens if, if, if Ray Lewis gets pissed off at me in quarter one. I got three quarters to look over my shoulder and make it out of here alive because I know what he does when he gets mad and he has a vendetta against somebody and it's legal. It's like boxing. You could talk all the trash you want, but you got to see me in basketball. When does that happen? So I know behind the scenes that they're getting to the fisticuffs in the locker room. Now, I don't think that's what Draymond's talking about. I don't think he's talking about knuckling up with Chris Paul because that wouldn't be a great way to start the relationship. But when you have a problem with somebody in the NFL, that is what happens. We got a problem on the field. We either handle it within the lines. And if we don't get it within that, the confines of where we're physical there, we'll meet you in the locker room. We'll do it. And we'll get it out the way. And people will literally move on. It is a part of the process. I have fought D Lyman in football, teammates. I don't want to call it barbaric, but it is, in a sense, it's a physical game. In basketball, I just wonder what those men talks are. So that's a great question from Jeff that I don't have an answer to. But Jeff, strike one on the way you've uh, you talked about Draymond Green and minimized, in my opinion, minimized what Draymond Green is and it represents. But Jeff is my guy. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Next, we got to talk a little bit about my guy, Paul Pierce, man. As a, as a, as a lifelong LeBron fan, well, lifelong Kobe fan, transitioned to a broad fan. I'm like half and half. As the fan in me, the basketball fan, um, is not objective when it comes to Paul Pierce. I like Paul Pierce. I think he's an incredible player. I didn't like him because he was on the other side of Team LeBron. So that is what it is. But looking at the topics, my man Jeff, shout out to Jeff. Uh, Paul Pierce has done very little to preserve his Hall of Fame reputation. Wild statement, Jeff. I got it. I don't I don't have any this Jeff. This is what happens when I have no one to debate. People, this is what happens when I have no one to debate. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta just 
break this down. But in in recent years, Paul Pierce has had some mishaps. He had a little stripper party that got him canned over at ESPN that he talked about. He was not excited about. He he, he made that very clear. He had a situation recently on uh, Kevin Garnett IG uh, live um, where he paid. He said that he paid for a girlfriend for the day to come some lady friends. Um, and now recently he's made some comments about D Wade and, and the debate that he has, I feel like created of who is better between him and D Wade. And his, his, his take is that if he got to play with LeBron James, if he got to play with Shaquille O'Neal, if he got to play with Chris Paul, he would have more championships than Dwayne Wade to sum it up. And so I, I am, I get both sides of this because I can see where the fans say that Chris Paul needs to pipe down. I don't think he's hurting his Hall of Fame legacy. I think I think in order to have a Hall of Fame legacy, you have to have this unrealistic confidence in yourself. And I won't even say it's unrealistic. I don't think that's that crazy, right? If you name, if, if I name my five best players of all time, Shaq's on there, obviously. Shaq is the most dominant. If you if you said name the two most dominant players in NBA history, Shaq, LeBron, no order, one or two. So I don't think he's nuts for saying that, especially for someone who has won championships, especially for someone who is a Hall of Fame player. What's crazy is the the why, right? Like, what is your motive behind doing it? And I think it's more of how he looks at how. Dwayne Wade is revered in a certain way, but a big part of the reason why people revere D Wade that way is because you don't hear these things from D Wade. So it's almost like you're reverse engineering the thing that you don't want. You want people to hold you in this way. And I think they do. And they might not be as public with it and the love. And, you know, you might not get your name dropped in as many Drake or Jay Z songs, but it's because <laughs> D Wade just chills to be honest. And so anyway, I have no problem with him feeling that way. He's an incredible player and every player feels that way. I can promise you that even whether they, whether they voice it or not, I can promise you if D Wade was being honest and he was being unfiltered and he was doing a podcast by himself in a, in a hotel room in Paris that nobody would hear. He would tell you the scenarios where he know he could win another five championships and he would be considered greater than this player or that player. Because it's all situational. I've played with career backups. My guy, Bruce Gradkowski, who was my roommate in college and also my teammate in the NFL. He was a career backup. He had a couple of starting stints, incredible quarterback, been the, the best quarterback to ever play at the University of Toledo. He played, he had a 12, 11, 12 year NFL career at every offseason. I'm talking about up until he retired at like 34. It was like, man, if I just had, if I just went in at this situation, when they went with Big Ben or if I was in Tom Brady, he would literally say, and I love him, but he would say if he was in Tom, he just wished he would have caught a break like Tom Brady. In his mind, he was as good as Tom Brady. Tom Brady just got to be put in the situation that he never did. So that's a very normal thing for athletes. That's how we think. And you have to to get there because the circumstances, you have to control what you can control and hope that you get into a right circumstance to create whatever your goal is. And when you see somebody else getting something, that is what crosses your mind. It's just wow for Paul Pierce at this stage to be voicing that. 
because what is the reason in the in the words of great philosopher hardy b what is the reason also on pat bev's podcast he talked about fan bases tough fan bases and i can't remember the exact quote uh, but he's talked about memphis and how when he goes to play in memphis he's gonna have his squad ready because there's been some some infamous tales about memphis fan bases and you know under the influence and guidance of their star player that is known as the Ja. It's like turn. It's a tough guy. Memphis is a tough place, and it got me thinking about who are the toughest fan bases. Who do you want to see? Right? Is it Chicago? I don't know. I think I think it depends. I think it depends on who is who. Who? What sport it is? What sport in what city? Because you know, like it's there's. I would say Cleveland is a very blue collar fan base. They would be a tough city. That if it, if, it, if it went down all out brawl, fan base first, fan base, let's get physical with it. Cleveland would be tough. The Browns. The Browns. I think the Browns would be a tough one. And also, man, do I think they'd be the toughest? No, I think Philly would be the toughest. I think Philly would be the toughest because of the demographic in Philly that the fandom spans. The Eagles specifically, not the Sixers. And it's crazy because you're like, oh, it's Philly. It's the same. No, it's not the same fan bases. There are certain teams in certain cities that span across more demographics. And because of that, you get more of a mix of what, what it goes, what it goes down like. You know, I'm not, I'm not scared of I'm not scared of the Nashville fan base. No offense. Shout out to Bustin' with the boys. I don't, I don't think they want it with the Philadelphia Eagle fan base. I'm from Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh Steelers. They got a tough fan base. I don't think they want it with the Eagles fan base. I just, I'm just saying, there's just a, such a, such a wide range of fan that's coming at that, you know. So I think right now, off the top, I'm gonna do some more research on this, and we're gonna come back to this topic. But I, I, I think Philadelphia is the toughest fan base. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway. We're going to be back in just a, a, a quick moment and talk a little NFL. Yes, y'all. And we don't stop. The news came out this week that Bronny James, who is LeBron James Jr., the son of obviously the legendary basketball player LeBron James, went into cardiac arrest at a USC basketball practice. Now, at this taping of the podcast, I don't have a bunch of information except for the fact that he collapsed during the practice. Um, and was rushed to the hospital and the USC medical staff um, at the hospital and at the university acted swiftly and, and quick. And it was during a practice. And I, I read this while I was with my wife and my heart immediately sank. I mean, this is sad for anybody. And I know we all remember the DeMar Hamlin situation from the season, but as again, obviously someone who, um, knows uh, the LeBron James family and empire and as well as a fan of LeBron, someone who's worked for LeBron and someone who has a, a son who is an athlete as well. I don't know if there was something scarier that could possibly could have happened for a father. You know, I could only imagine what LeBron, what Savannah, what, 
the whole family um, is going through and thinking in in that moment. But it's scary, man. It's scary. You know, my son is actually playing football, and this is a completely different situation. But this is his first year playing football, and it, that is a scary thing to, to you know obviously all the conversations around with your son you know dangers and obviously football has its own set of dangers when i read this it was just that kind of this realization that man like there's nothing you could do to keep him safe and it's as a father as a parent it's like damn man damn could you could you imagine thank god that he's okay he's out of icu um and it doesn't need a lot of quick takes it's just something i felt like should be mentioned prayers to the the whole james family um, they're in our thoughts and we, you know, we'll keep, keep a tab on, on the situation. Uh, I was watching a little bit of ESPN and they were talking about the Steph Curry doc and was transitioned into us talking about the last dance doc. And it got everybody wondering and talking about like, what is the great doc from the two thousands, the nineties of an athlete that we would have wanted to see last dance style. We know LeBron's doc is coming. Um, we've seen a Jeter doc. Um, Steph Curry now has a doc. Even quarterback on Netflix with Patrick Mahomes. It's not as solely Mahomes doc, but, you know, it gives you a, a glimpse. We've seen Tom Brady doc and obviously the last dance in the pandemic. I don't think we'll get any docs like the last dance ever again. I think the timing was perfect. The content was perfect for where we were in the world. I think it's just different. And, and producer Jeff wants to know what other players should get the last dance treatment of something we would all look forward to. Now, that's not why I'm bringing this up. This is this is producer Jeff's third strike that I had to bring up because I don't even have an answer for this except for the fact that he said, for example, like Reggie Bush documentary of him um, at USC and his short stint in the NFL would be incredible. This blew my top off. I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, because short stint Reggie Bush. Now look, Reggie Bush is probably the most exciting college running back that I've seen in my lifetime. He was that dominant, and everybody, you know, you can have your own opinion about who's the best football player. Reggie Bush was a dominant, dominant, dominant player, and I get when you're that dominant, you think, oh, they went to the NFL and they weren't as dominant. So it's a short stint. Reggie Bush played 11 years in the NFL. He is one of the top 200 players in all-purpose yards in NFL history. There are 30 to 35,000 former NFL players. Reggie Bush is, I think, number 169 in total yards. And this is not your fault, producer Jeff, but this is a conversation that when people talk about his career – they make it seem like he was a disappointment. Like, was he Emmett Smith? No. But he has 10,000 career all-purpose yards. There's only like 170 players that have that many yards. He played for 11 years in the NFL. A short stint is crazy work. You know what I'm saying? And, and Reggie Bush won a Super Bowl. He was an incredible all-around player. And again, I get that he was so dominant in college. And maybe the expectations, but we got to change the narrative around what success looks like. He's one of the 170 most productive NFL players ever over a 100-year period. That's crazy. So 
like I said, I don't have an answer to that question, but I just wanted to get that out there. And that was producer Jeff's third strike. Producer Jeff, I appreciate you being a part of the show, even though you are not actually a part of the show. But speaking of running backs, uh, large debate about NFL running backs and their lack of pay. Running backs are pissed. They had a they had a, a running backs only meeting to to talk about the state of running backs. Running backs have been struggling to get their money. They've been struggling to get their cheese, their contracts. And it doesn't seem like anybody's coming to their their aid or their defense. It's weird because they're like almost forming their own union within a union because they feel like they're the most productive player on the field, but n- nobody's willing to pay them and nobody cares. Who Nobody's fighting for the running backs, and they are absolutely right. The game has changed. Now it is a passing attack. But if you break it down on a per-touch basis and what they do, the running back is still – one of, if not the most important player on offense outside of the quarterback, depending on what the, the, the offense is. But it's you're talking about Saquon Barkley can't get paid. Josh Jacobs can't get paid. And they had this running backs only meeting with the top running backs. And I, I, I feel bad for all the running backs that didn't get invited because everybody's talking about this running backs only meeting. And I can only imagine all the running backs that were like, yo, I didn't even get a text. I didn't get an Instagram invite, nothing. And that kind of shows you where you are even within the running backs union. Imagine being a running back in the NFL and not getting paid like everybody else. And then imagine being the running backs, the running back that didn't get invited to the left behind running back club. Like you are like the behind of the behind, but I digress. Running backs are in a, a 360 deal. They got one of them old school P Diddy bad boy deals where they got to make all the hits. They got to do all the production. They got to do all the dirty work. All the offenses, even the passing offense, still have to run through them, and they don't see a dime from it. And it's messed up. And the problem is there is no end in sight. I don't see this getting better. Unless the running backs try to, you know, break away from the union, and I mean that figuratively and literally, man, you guys got to start just, I don't know, capping your reps I seen Ryan Clark made an interesting point of like doing sit-ins. It feels like we're we're in the in the times of of the fifties protest for black people, man. You got to start doing sit-ins, running backs. Literally, you got to go to work, collect your check, and refuse to run the ball. Say you have an ankle sprain. That's what Ryan Clark says, and he's not wrong. It's going to take that kind of drastic measures, and it's going to take you guys all being on the same page. That's the toughest part. How do you get everyone on the same page when everyone's situation is different? It's the same thing we talked about earlier in the show about the unions, about the strikes, running backs. You might have to concoct your own strike because I don't see it getting better. More quick hits. OBJ said that he almost retired after he hurt his knee with the the Rams. And it's an interesting thing. OBJ's career is is just an interesting case study because when he played, when he was a young player, I remember there weren't very many players that I would get off the sideline for to watch, you know, because when two offenses are on the field, you know, you're you're talking through, you know, whatever you're seeing on the defense while the defense is actually out there playing. He was one of those players where I would like quickly hurry up because I wanted to watch him because he had everything. I mean, he had these huge hands. He catches everything, but he's quick. He's fast. He could separate. He had routes. He were, I mean, Justin Jefferson is kind of like the next coming of OBJ really, really quickly. But early on, OBJ before the injuries, man, he was, he was like that. I think the fame might have. I mean, I I would say he probably would even admit that that he probably didn't handle all the fame. 
he still was an incredible player. He didn't fall off as a player perspective. He landed in a tough situation in Cleveland. And, you know, prior to that, being in New York with the catch and everything that came along with being a superstar, um, I would venture to say that even Odell would say if he could go back, he would do things different. Sticking with the theme of doing things different, DeAndre Hopkins has signed with the Titans, undoing the trend of veteran receivers just going to New England, but things have changed. I signed with New England at the end of my career. I retired after a month because I was old. My knees hurt. They were paying me uh, league minimum, and it is not a fun atmosphere. And you're right. To play in the NFL, it doesn't have to be fun, but there are certain things when you're at that age, you're like, yo, I'm not dealing with this. I don't think DeAndre Hopkins wanted to deal with the Patriots, and there's there's no longer the um, appetizing reality that they could win a Super Bowl every year. That's gone. People don't feel that way. And without that, without the fun, with the environment, everything, all the other elements, of course, people will start to choose the Titans over over New England. Now, do I think he's going to the Titans because they're winning the Super Bowl? No, but I think at 31, he could still be a number one receiver, and he understands that, and it's an environment he's used to. He knows Coach Rabel. He knows the guys down there, and I actually think it's actually a match made in heaven. So it makes more sense to me, but again, I was also a 31-year-old receiver looking for a new team at one point. Um Doing things different. Twitter rebrands the X. Not much to say on that. That is dumb. I I I know when a team is trying to tank. That's all I'm saying on Elon. I'm not saying it, you know, it does not feel like his goal is to make money with Twitter because it, it seems like the beginning of the end. And lastly, speaking of making money, just a little advice to my guy Mbappe. Take the money. I know there's a whole bunch of other conversations. Things to consider if someone's going to offer you and pay you $1.1 billion for one year of work, just take the money and we'll figure out the rest next year. There's not many jobs I wouldn't do for $1.1 billion. This is a whole new level that I don't think even the biggest athletes, at least in the U.S., have ever considered. Mbappe, if you can go make $1.1 billion for one year of work, do it. I don't care what any other argument is. Seven months. Knock it out. Get the billy. And we'll we'll recalibrate from there, buddy. And that's that's my closing advice to Mr. Mbappe. Take the money. Any athlete out there, always take the money. Period. The guarantee. That's all this is about. One day these knees will be bad. The ankles won't work. The elbows are going to crack. You're not going to be as quick. You're not going to be as big. You're not going to be as big a star. Have something to show for it. $1.1 billion is crazy work. Take it. And that does it for this episode of Journeyman. Shout out to the DraftKings Network. Shout out to Metal Arc Media. Shout out all of you for joining me. Shout out to producer Jeff, who is not here, but he's here in spirit. Appreciate you hooking up everything. And shout out to me, because I didn't have any guests today, and I did my first show solo show, and I think it went pretty well. We will check you next week. Make sure you journey back, same time same place and until then everybody knows running backs get more bounce to the ounce but the nfl makes more money than you can count while they're buying things they can't even pronounce they do it to the running backs for a low amount all right y'all peace